great. Hey, thanks, team. Give these guys a hand. Hey, they're brilliant. Just keep working on it. That's right, I've got this one. Hey, uh, this morning, uh, I started a little series last Sunday, but I just want to kind of continue it this morning and, and just talk about it. And uh, I want to turn to a passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 16, if we could. And uh, if you've got your uh, phone, whatever it may be, otherwise it'll be on the screen. I want to just read from the NIV internet. New International Version. It's Paul, it's Paul talking to a, uh, a church. He wrote this letter to a group of people in Philippi, and um, that's why it's called Letter to the Philippians. And um, he had this to say. It's quite interesting. He said in verse 10, starting in verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, uh, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, though, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether we're well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things. Oh, sorry, I was about to say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've got to stop going into automatic. I can do all this through Him who gives me. What? Strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Uh, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Okay, how about we just pray? Father, I thank you that your word is incredible life to us um, and, and the principles and the truth. So, Father, let it not just be words on a piece of paper or on a screen this morning, but let Holy Spirit, you just uh, quicken the truth to our hearts so we can know incredible freedom and liberty in this area in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Paul is um, saying thank you to these Christians at Philippi. He's saying thank you for your financial um, giving unto me. Thank you for the provision you made for me um, because that money that you gave me helped me to share Jesus, helped me to share the good news of Jesus called the gospel. And in fact, he said, you were the only ones. He says, you, at one stage, you guys were the only ones who, who gave to me so that I could continue to do. I could eat and live and travel and do what I was doing for Jesus' sake. You, you guys. Um, but he says, please understand something. You've got to understand something, he said. And all of this, I've learned to be content in actual fact, he's kind of intimating, whether you provided for me or not, I've just learned to be content whether I have much and I have, or whether I have very little. I've just learned to be content. You know, I love what Paul is saying here because Paul's saying, whether plenty or little, it will not determine my levels of contentment about my life. Whether I have much or whether I have little, it will not determine the levels of my personal contentment about what I've got or about doing life. I think that's a great a great place to be, wouldn't you? Just content. Not content is not stirred about doing more for God, but just content in the fact that you're not stressed or worried or anxious about certain things. And Paul actually points out that the thing that he's really talking about in contentment here, he says, I'm, I'm, he's really intimating that I'm just content about finance. I'm content about my material possessions. I'm just content. 
I don't need to have more. I'm thankful for more. I don't need that. I don't want less. But if I get less, I'm still thankful. I'm just, can you appreciate what Paul's saying? I, you know, folks, I think that's one of the most incredible places to be in life. Because you think about the alternative, stressed, anxious, worried. It doesn't do you any good, does it? Especially in relation to what Paul's talking to the church here about finance and money. Are we there this morning? You're allowed to talk to me. <laughs> uh, allowed to say, yeah. You know, so this morning, Paul is, talks about a subject that generally you and I don't talk about. You don't bump into someone in the supermarket and generally say, oh, how, how's your finance going this week? <laughs> Just don't say that, do you? But Paul's addressing it. You don't kind of bump into the, you know, uh, someone and do that. But Paul, because... But it is an interesting. We don't talk about it in general conversation necessarily. Maybe we talk about it money more than we used to these days. Um, but we don't talk about it in general conversation. Now, that's probably cool. But the reality is we have to deal with it every day of our lives. Do you understand that? You have to deal with money every day of your life. You, 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 you know, you have to answer the questions, what will I buy today? Today, will I have lunch at home or will I spend some money and have lunch out with the family? Uh, how much will I buy of that thing? What will I do with that? How much money will I use? Uh, you know, what should I invest in? What should I not invest in? How much, you know, I can guarantee every week you either go on your phone app to look at your, what, if you've got your wage come in your bank or, you know, however you receive your wage. I don't think anybody would receive paper money here, do they still? <laughs> No. So I guarantee every week you'll make sure your wage is there. And if it wasn't there, guess what? You'd tell your employer, wouldn't you? So we all have to deal with money. We all have to address it. We all have to talk about it. And I am totally in, um, enthralled with the reality that, you know, the Bible talks a lot about money. In actual fact, 2,350 odd verses, actually more than that, are, are, are assigned to talking about money or possessions. Money or possessions. That's a lot of verses. Um, here's one of them. Hebrews 13.5 says this, Keep your lives, NIV, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. Keep your lives, what? Free from the what of money? Love of it. Isn't it interesting, isn't it? Paul says, it's the love of it. It's not money itself. It's the love of it. And I'm sure you're well aware of that. But, you know, while I'm well aware of it, I've got to continually, continually, continually be aware that sometimes money wants to grip my heart. And Paul says in the previous chapter of the Philippians, he says, you know what? I found the secret. Have you ever found out about a secret and thought, oh, we've got to hang on to that one? But Paul says, I've found the secret of contentment in regards to money. He says, why is it a secret? Why does he say that? Why does he say it's a secret of contentment? Because I've discovered that the lessons that I've learned about finance throughout my life 
and, and I've continually, I'm learning all the time. And sometimes I have to learn over and over again to make sure money is always placed in the right place in my heart and, not the, and I don't have the love of money, I just have money. You know what I'm saying? It's a continual process. Sometimes I think, oh, well, you know, we think, oh, well, I've got, a, I've got a handle on this money. I'm right. I'm good. I can handle it. I don't have love of money in my heart. And then something pops up where maybe you get some more of it than you expected. And then, you're, oh, and you've got to make sure you keep it in the right place. Is that true? It's, I always remember when I was younger, I was probably stingy. When I first got a job, I was pretty stingy. I don't think I was that generous, um, you know. But as I've grown over the years, I've realized generosity is an incredible blessing and opportunity, isn't it? And so I've been able to just up and go further and to see God continue to make, be my provision in life, continue to help me, continue to look after me, as I've just continued to realize that I'm free to be generous. It's a great way to live life. So we've got to be aware of it. Jesus talked about money so much, didn't he? He talked about money all the time. I'm uh, actual fact, I found out that he talked about money more than he did prayer. Not that prayer is not important. Prayer is <laughs> vitally important. I'm just saying that maybe Jesus knew there were some things that as humanity he was going to face in this whole question of money. He actually wrote a verse. I like what Jesus wrote here in Luke chapter 16, 13. He said this about money. He says, no one can serve two what? Masters, oh, you know the verse. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Maybe Jesus knew about not just the people of the day when he he said those words to them, and then of course we see Luke wrote it down. But he knew about us, you know, two thousand odd years later, still grappling with the reality of money, wanting to invade our hearts and cripple us and make us love it more than love God. Because I think what Jesus is saying, you've got to be careful that money doesn't replace replace God in your life. That's what I think he's saying, because money can whisper very loudly in your ear. It just wants to whisper. It whispers in my ear. You know, I go past, you know, you, you see, not go past, but go watch on television and, and you're watching something and then there's Adel come up, Gold Lotto or whatever they call it. I really am not, don't know much about it. It says on Thursday night it's jackpotted to $80 million and you start to dream about it and it whispers, what would it be? Why did you, you know, I wonder if God would just allow me to put those numbers in once and I win $80 million. What if it's possible, God? You know, we've got it before you. <laughs> so the money whispers and, you know, and in the end, of course, I come to the understanding and conclusion that it's not worth it. It's not worth it because, you know, the truth is if you can't handle what you got, how are you going to handle what you, you know, handle what you got? Be thankful for what you got. Be, what does Paul say? I found the secret of contentment, whether I've got plenty and whether I've got little. You see, it's not the amount, it's the heart attitude towards it and towards God. So we've got to be aware of it. Money can whisper. Money can whisper things like you need more if you're going to be really happy. You need more money if you're going to be happy. If you're going to be, you know, you need more money if you're going to be secure. You need more money if you're going to keep up with the Joneses. Now, none of us would say that, but sometimes we can think, oh, if I only had the second, third car. If I only had the double garage, I've only got a single garage, but, you know, I've thought, oh, sometimes I wish I had the double garage. 
Why? To buy another car, to put it in there. And so the drawing card and the, and the voice of money yells out more, more. You know, there's one thing that will never be satisfied, and that is that money will always say you need more of it. The world will always say you don't need more of it. You just, well, you know, if he wants to give us more, but it's always the hard attitude that we need to be aware of, isn't it? So um, what I want to just share this morning, I want to be very honest. I've worked it out in my life. I don't get it all perfect all the time, but I, I, am, I am not a rich person compared to millionaires. But apparently I'm pretty rich because I own a free refrigerator this morning. And so if we're in the top 5 or 10% of the world who own refrigerators this morning, you're doing pretty good. Is that right? It's pretty cool. So just see yourself as pretty blessed today if you own a refrigerator because the rest of the 90% of the world um, don't own a proper working refrigerator. So, and, and isn't that a challenge, isn't it? And I think, think about that. So we're pretty rich. So I've, I've kind of worked through this and I want you to understand I share this message this morning, not because, because um, uh, you know, you, to, to, uh, just to speak on the sake of speaking of money. No, because I just see the incredible liberty and the incredible freedom it brings when money, we have money, but it hasn't got us. There's nothing wrong with being rich if you want to be rich. It's just that you can't let the money get on the inside of you and start to be the dictator to your whole life. You've got to be aware of it and careful of it. So let me just share contentment. Paul says, I found the secret. What's the secret of contentment? I've come up with these thoughts. See, unless we learn to be content, I've discovered about my life in the past, I've discovered we become very tired. Unless we learn to be content, we will become very tired. Let me share with you a verse, Proverbs 23, 4. It says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. I think this is what Paul was talking about. He wasn't going to wear himself out to get rich to, to earning money. He, was, he certainly weared himself out preaching the gospel. That was a great way Paul discovered how to do life. He, he, he went to the ultimate sacrifice. He was, of course, martyred, wasn't he? Um, they say that Paul had his head chopped off in Rome, um, you know, about uh, 67 A.D., um, but he, he, he totally realized he wasn't going to wear himself out to try and get rich. And whether churches gave to his ministry or didn't give, it wasn't, he, wasn't, he was still going to have peace and comfort and contentment. It's okay. God is my provision. And I tell you what, have you ever pushed it to the limit where you say, God, I need you and you've got to be my provision? I tell you what, as you give your heart over to him, he can be your incredible provision. And he will look after you in regards to the whole area of just what you need in life. So, but riches are never satisfied. It'll always seek to keep you wanting more. It'll wear you out. It'll wear you out. You're always wanting when you've got that hard attitude. Someone said, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. And when you think about that, that's a great way to live, you know. I, what I've got, I've got. I do I really need any more? You know. I know when I was younger, oh, I wanted that, and I wanted that, and I wanted that. But, you know, as you get older, you realize you don't really need that, or don't need that, you don't need that. And you can live very, very wisely, can't you? Minimalistic. I, I, I long for the day that I'll be able to go through my garage and just give it away or throw it out. At the moment, I have to understand I've got a wife who says we may need that one day. To be honest, I think the stuff I have is I've just got it for other people. Because it's a great opportunity to be a witness. <laughs> 
Did you know I, last week, did you know I was given a, a um, jumper leads? Did you hear my story about the jumper leads? And somebody gave me jumper leads after mine burnt out. And then on last Sunday, I gave them to Malcolm. And guess what Malcolm did? He gave me a, a $50, um, oh, sorry, does your family know about this? That you gave it to me? Oh, too late now. So Malcolm gave me a super cheap auto $50 one, and I went and bought a better pair of jumper leads than I gave him. I think this is the gift that just keeps on giving. Um, Anybody need any jumper leads? <laughs> I won't look. I wanted to keep them. Anyway. So, what's that? So, uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> so, you know, that's right. We get tired, folks. Some people work, 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 work to get more, 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 and never get time to enjoy what they already got. It's just tiring. True, isn't it? Especially in our Western society. It's called consumerism. It becomes very exhausting. Always trying to get more. Um, and that can be the way people live their life. Someone said to me once, you know, I've heard the grass is greener on the other side. I said, yeah, I've heard that too. But, you know, what else is on the other side? A bigger watering bill. And so, you know, you've got to realize the more you, I've discovered the more you have, the more it costs you to have it. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a lot as long as you're willing to, to weigh up the cost. Nothing wrong with having plenty, but as long as you weigh up the cost and realize it'll cost you more, just don't wear yourself out trying to maintain all that you've got. Just be thankful for what you've got and, you know. See, uh, Maybe we think that we don't earn enough. And, you know, you could be right. You could be right. But maybe we just want too much. I don't know. I'll leave it with you. There's a verse in the Bible, Philippians 4.19 says, My God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, let's not over-spiritualize that, but that's a reality. There is a God who's a provider. And notice it says all our needs and not all our greeds. It's all our needs he wants to provide for us. See, contentment, in contentment, we can find that we are nowhere near as tired when we just, <sighs> I do not have to. I've just got this money in the right place in my heart. I don't, it's not the love of it. It's the living. I, I have to work. I have to earn. I have to have it. I have to talk about it. I have to make wise decisions. I have to invest it. I have to do all those things. But in the end, it's not going to consume me. It's not going to rule my heart. And if I've got, sometimes I find myself in a season where I've got less of it, it's okay. I'm still going to praise him. It's not going to determine my outlook and how I do life. Contentment. Let me move on. Here's another thought about financial contentment. Um, financial contentment is less stressful. Less stressful. That's why um, in contentment is so important. It's not only less tiredness, but less stress. Proverbs 15, 27 says this, Anyone who always wants more brings trouble to his family. But a person who refuses, it'll come up soon, uh, Proverbs 15, 27, um, anyone who wants more, or oh, this is my... This is my New Living Revised Version, and this will be the um, NIV. But anyone who wants more bring, brings trouble to his family, but a person who refuses to be paid off will live. NIV says, the greedy brings ruin to their household, but the one who hates bribes will live. So it, it's interesting. Did you know the number one thing in the Western world today for divorce is caused by, unfortunately, right up there in the list of things that causes a breakdown in marriages, guess what? You guessed it. It's finance and money. 
that's a little bit foreign to me, I'll be totally honest. And I don't say that to brag, but I just don't, Michelle and I just don't struggle about the issue of money. We had very little when we got married. We didn't even think about the little we had. We just wanted, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue. Went from two wages to one wage, and that wage was half of what we used to get before when I became a pastor. It wasn't an issue. I was just joyful that I could serve God. So I've had very little. I've, I've been down the aisle, and, and Michelle and I have gone, oh, well, can't get that this week. Not a big issue. Just can't, can't buy the, the, you know, the, uh, the uh, $10 packet of, um, of whatever it is. I don't know. Beans, you've got to buy the home brand. You know, and that's okay. They taste just as good. That was the season. Do you know what costs sometimes to do what God wants you to do? And I think that's good because it makes us appreciate the cost and it makes us appreciate what we do. But, you know, that comes, but then, then I've known sometimes in seasons of plenty. And I'm just glad that I learned in the seasons of want that just to be content and not let it worry me. Because in the seasons of plenty, I've discovered that, hey, I can have the same attitude. <laughs> if I didn't have it or I do have it, it's not going to ruin my life. Folks, it is not going to stress me. I can trust him. Um, oh, we've got to understand that. We can't strive for more and more and more because it causes that element of just worry and stress. See, 1 Timothy 6.9 says this, New Living Translation. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Wow. Paul knew what he was talking about. Once again, he's talking about money, isn't he? People who long to be rich. Um, long to be rich. Did you notice Paul doesn't say, he's not talking about rich people, he's just talking about those who long to be rich. There's a difference, isn't there? Nothing wrong with rich people, but it's the longing that causes destruction. It's the longing. You know, I've discovered people who are longing to get quick fix in rich situations is they get scammed much easier than those who don't long for it. Because sometimes you get an email. You ever had an email? I must have blocked them all by now, but they don't seem to come my way anymore. But I got an email many couple of years ago from a person in another country saying to me, you know, I've just come into this inheritance and your name has come up and I really feel led by God to give you an inher- part of my inheritance. Would you just click the link and we'll set the process in place. Ever had one of those? Mm. And when I first read it, I thought, wow. Certainly naive. That's what I was. But then I thought about it and thought, hmm, uh, nah, won't do that. It looks a bit scamish. But there's a temptation initially. And then I realized that it is a scam and people have told me it's a scam. Do you know, on my phone a couple of times, a little ad will pop up and I might be playing a game of Yahtzee. For instance, I've got Yahtzee on my phone. On the bottom it'll be, you have won a free iPhone. Has anybody ever received one of them? Free iPhone. I think when I first saw that, I think, brilliant, brilliant. And this longing thought, I started to long for it. I started to, oh, gee. And you know what? I pressed it initially and then I realized you've got to do all these details and, and I thought, not, not worth it. Uh, and then I started to think about it. I started to think about it. And what I thought about, why do I need a second iPhone when I've got one already? And so we've got to be careful that the longing in our heart can trip us up when the scam comes along. I tell you what, you scam-proof your life when you don't allow longing to be in your heart for it. Okay, we're good? Contentment. Just my second thought about contentment. Financial contentment means less conflict. Major less conflict, I tell you. Major less conflict. Let me read 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6, 6 to 8 in the NIV. 
It says, but goodness with contentment is great gain, for we thought brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul is talking about not having materialism. Um, he's talking to Timothy again, his young mentor. And he's saying go- godliness with contentment, not goodness. Did I say goodness? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, but we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. Naked we came and naked we will leave. Isn't that the reality? Well, you know, maybe dressed in a suit. Wouldn't be very nice having a viewing at your coffin and you're naked. But the truth is it'll all rot away. Um, you get the point, don't you? So we've got to understand what Paul is saying is that we've got this contentment. He says, we, if, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I've got a meal a day. I've got clo- a shirt and a pair of pants. Do you know that there's people in the world who only actually probably have one pair of pants and one good shirt? and they're content. I have multiple copies of shirts and, and, and pants in my wardrobe. And I think that's a little bit of consumerism right there. I have food. I have, I have food in my fridge that I, I know that if I continue to leave it there, I'm going to have to throw it away. That's probably materialism, folks, right there. Because there's some people who don't have a fridge and they can't, and any extra food they have to eat all the time. They have lived from day to day. And I think, I mean, I live in an element. So, you know, I'm telling you, I'm confessing right now, there's consumerism, even when I don't think I have consumerism. I'm caught up with this whole thing of having, when I can have so much of it that I actually throw it away. Where supermarkets now, because of political correctness, get food that has got a use-by date, and when it's over the use-by date, even though the food is perfectly healthy and right, they throw it away. You ever been dumpster um, diving? You have? Can I get Tristan? We'll have to go out together. (laughs) I've never done it. But, you know, they tell me... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they tell me you can get perfectly good meal out of those. Now, these days, I don't think they allow that because, you know, the political correctness is if you go and grab something out of the bin and, and you get sick from it, you could sue Woolworths or whatever. Isn't that silly? But anyway, may, we, may our world see the materialism we live in. Maybe we'd be challenged by it. Can I tell you, if we were to talk about materialism being just purely... Um, not just, um, you know, what we have throwing out, but purely just wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. Um, the antidote, can I finish with this today? The antidote to materialism. One of the antidotes to materialism, I believe, is giving. It's giving. It's giving. You might say, well, I'm not materialistic. Great. Well, how do you go about, how do you go when you're asked to be generous? How do you go when you're asked to be generous? You go, yeah, not a problem. Or do you go, you're not getting any more of my money, thank you. See, I think it's not the only... See, the truth is God doesn't need our money. So why does he ask us to bring our tithe and give our offering? Why does he ask that? Well, I think one of the reasons, not the only reason, is because he wants to break the grip of materialism in our life. And he wants to wean our hearts of the things of this world and wean our hearts onto him. Put him first. I think that's, see, if I could break that grip in my life, then I can find what I believe will be incredible sense of contentment. 
Not content in the sense of, oh, I don't want any more in life or I'm just going to sit back here and never do anything. Not that kind of contentment, but a contentment that says I don't have to worry, stress or fear that I can trust God, that I'm getting an income. Praise God for that. I don't know how long that'll last. Uh, you know, generally I'm talking. But, you know, but God will be my provider no matter what happens. And I can be a giver. And I can find incredible joy and contentment in that and cheerfulness and giving. I think that's brilliant. I, 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 I continually find that I've just got to make sure I break the grip of that thing that wants to try. Because the world continually slams you in the face with materialism. You've got to buy. You've got to buy this. You need this. If I bought everything that they wanted to sell me on television, I wouldn't have a house big enough to hold it all. Wouldn't have a, that, that ladder that does 24 different ladders. Have you ever found yourself going, I want that ladder? <laughs> Amazing. And then if you buy one, you can get other stuff too. You know, that cloth that picks up dust. And you know, ever seen that one? It just picks it all up. And, and then they say, You not only can have one, but if you buy it right now, you can have four. I'm thinking, That would be brilliant. Four dusters, just what I need. <laughs> it was a Kansas uh, church in Kansas and Mary, a documented story. I love the story that the church was just having a bit of difficulty with their finances. Not that they'd done the wrong thing. They, were just, they just found that it just wasn't, um, there was something needed to be changed there and they just needed to move forward with their finances. So they asked the local member of their church to be their treasurer. Now they trusted this man and uh, he thought about it. And he said he would on two, on two conditions. He agreed on two conditions. He said, this is my conditions, that you won't ask for any financial reports in the first 12 months, and you won't ask me anything about the church finance in the first 12 months. Now, because he was well-respected and, and uh, honored and a member of their church, they said, okay, we'll do it. Now, not only was he going to be their treasurer, but he, had already, he already was the, the guy in this farming district of Kansas in America who owned the silos, the grain silos, okay? So they used to bring all their grain to him and he'd sell it for them. He was the middleman. And so we see the story unfolds that for 12 months, he, they brought their grain and he looked after the finances of the church. 12 months later, he gave a report to the church. This is the literal report. Treasurer gave his report. The debt on the church building had been paid in full. The salaries of the church staff had been increased. I'm not in any way talking about that for us. I'm just saying this is what happened. They'd bought a minivan for the youth and purchased and paid it in full. All missions commitments had been met. There was no outstanding bills and there was a surplus of several thousand dollars. The people were in shock. They said, how did you do it? He said, I'll tell you how I did it. When you brought your grain to me, I would keep 10% of your grain. You never missed it. I sold it and gave the money to the church. All of you, I was keeping 10% of your, I'd give you the income. You never missed it. You never asked me for it. And as I continued to sow seed into the church, it multiplied and grew and I was able to pay and do all of the things I've just reported to you. I want to tell you, it's God's way, generosity and giving, isn't it? It is God's way to keep us from materialism. What a wonderful thing. I've discovered that tithing is not something I do because you can afford it necessarily. <laughs> because it, naturally speaking, sometimes you can't. But I found it's something to do to honor God. It's an act of obedience. It's a trust. It's a faith. It's a confidence in Him. And I find that it can be an incredible blessing in His kingdom, an incredible blessing to you personally as you continue to sow, receive more and to sow out more. I've just found that I am just the medium 
medium through which God blesses others. He sows into my life. I take it. I sow it back out. He pours more in. I cannot outgive the Heavenly Father. I cannot outgive him, Malachi 3. I've tried to outgive him. I can't. He just produces more. I want to tell you, folks, I'm a living testimony of an amazing God and how you can live life. I haven't got a lot. I'm just thankful for what God has continued to look after us. Amazing. I'm passionate about it because I've lived it. I know what it's been with have little and what it has to have a little bit more. And I've just found that the only way I can live with it is contentment because it has less stress. I'm less tired. Um, there's not as much conflict and I've just got, I can trust him. Um, and I want to pray that we'll all be content with our finance because it's a great way to live and that we would be a people with a generous spirit, a generous spirit. And because it's a wonderful way to live. Can I finish up today? It just um, Last week I announced as a church that we were going to be doing our first fruits again this year. We do it every year. You might wonder what first fruits is. But every year we give of a first fruits offering. It's a free will offering. It's up to you. We don't know who gives and who doesn't give. And to, to be honest, it's really it, it's up something that we all make our own decisions on. But of course, I, we want to give an opportunity for people to give a first fruits offering. We're not doing it today. Uh, we'll actually be doing it starting in the first week in October, first Sunday. And right through October, you're welcome to give a first fruits. But um, the testimonies of people that have given the first fruits each year are just incredible incredible how God provides and God does a wonderful thing. You may wonder what first fruits is. Well, it, it says in Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10, it says, just honor the Lord with, the, with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. So your barns will be filled and uh, filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We don't have barns. We have sheds. We don't have vats with wine. We don't have wine presses and wine, you know, grow, uh, olive groves or sorry, not olive groves, vineyards. Uh, we live in Australia, so you can you can communicate you can kind of bring that over in today that God just wants to be your provision. The Jewish people, the bottom line for them was, see, you might say, oh, that's Old Testament, no, you know, but you know what? Jesus still applies the first principle of first things. He says, I am the f- I'm the first son. I'm the I'm God's only son. But I, I gave my. He says in Scripture, he says, um, we lo- we love him because he what first loved us. The principle of first fruits is throughout the New Testament and the way that people, they'll and just continue to give their first and God would give them back. See, the Jewish people would give the first ripened part of the crop and they'd bring it into the temple and present it to God. And what they were saying was, God, as we give that first fruits, we're just trusting in you, we have confidence in you that you'll look after us for the rest of the year and the crop will be plentiful so we can have enough food for our family and even more so we can give it out to others. So that's what they did with their first roots, the Jewish people. Do you know that the Jewish people are the richest race in the world? Do you know why? Because they apply simple principles of generosity they learned from their ancestors way back when they had, you know, back even in the principles of their relationship with God. They understand it. They understand it. Million, billionaires. A lot of the billionaires in the world are Jewish people. Because they understand. Am I saying we should be a billionaire if we give our first fruits? No, I'm just saying that it's a wonderful principle to live our lives by. Now, last year we gave first fruits for the last 15 or 20 years we've been doing first fruits. And how we do it is this, is we simply say, come and bring your first fruits in in that month of July, starting the first Sunday. You say, how much should it be? Well, it's you. I personally 
Uh, and a lot of people personally say, well, what do I want to earn for the year? Well, this is what, how much I want to earn. So according to that, I'll give a tithe of what I'd like to earn for the year. And they give that out and they give that in their first fruits. So whatever that would be for you, that's up to you if you want to participate in it. It's a wonderful opportunity. You may say, well, what are we going to give our first fruits for this year? Because in the years past, we gave a tithe of it to build a roof on a prison in the Philippines that incredibly blessed that that jail and done something really good that Margaret could use to see people come to Christ. Um, we've given many things. We've given to uh, our chaplaincy in Gladstone. See, when we get the first fruits, we take a tithe of that first fruits and we give it out beyond the walls of this church. So that's what I'm talking about now is we've given it out. We've given out a tenth of it in different places and done great work. So this year, so what do we want to do with our first fruits? Well, one of the things you might know is on the other side of that wall right now is being an extension is building on our church because we acknowledge that if we continue to have everybody come at the one time, it just gets a little crowded and we need to build more area and more seating. But it's going to be a foyer initially with the opportunity to have more seating there if necessary. But what you might have known is on the end of that building, just kind of the other side of this end of the corner, there's going to be two new children's church rooms because our children's church gets a little bit crowded at different times over the last several years. And those two rooms are going to cost $50,000 to build. Now, we're building them, but if we contribute 50000 from our first fruits to it, it'll pay for the cost of that to build. You might say, that's a lot of money for two rooms. Well, folks, just building stuff costs money. But to build those two rooms so there's not so much congestion in our children's church, so children can continue to come to Christ, is that's what we're going to assign our first fruits to. Um, actually, we had a picture. We're just going to put them up, aren't we? Because um, if you didn't have a look, if you can't see beyond the fence, I'll give you a picture. Of, well, actually, it's a bit further than this now. Um, it's a bit further. It's okay. It's okay, Sue. It'll come up, I'm sure. <laughs> there it is. So it looks a bit different to that because they're now ready to cement it. They're going to put the slab of cement down on Tuesday. But uh, you can see the, um, there's a uh, piece of machinery digging holes for the foundations of the two ch children's church rooms on that end. That's looking from the top side. So uh, we're moving forward with that, and that's what we're going to give. Now, a tenth of that 50, if we get 50,000, a tenth would be how much? 5,000. So we're going to give it, we're going to give it outside of church we could see a real need. Do you know there's been bushfires, and we'll put the next slide up, bushfires in, in, in the east coast of Australia, New South Wales and Queensland in the last month. Do you know 18 homes were lost in Queensland, 10 um, just um, west of the Gold Coast in the hinterland, 10 homes, 10 people lost their homes, all their possessions. Uh, the other eight are made up of homes at Stanthorpe, uh, I think one at Mariba, uh, a couple others somewhere else, 18 homes, four in New South Wales. Our movement, the Australian Christian Churches, has actually put out a, a um, fire appeal, bushfire appeal, and we want to put um, the minimum amount we're going to put to it, whether we receive $50,000 or not, is 2500 So we're going to submit, we're committed to put, putting two and a half grand into the bushfires. What happens is, is they take that money, the ACC has a, a missions arm, they take that money we give, they give it to the churches in those areas where the houses have been lost, and the churches then distribute the money to the people, often many of the non-Christians, 
distribute the money to the people and say, we're going to help you rebuild your house. So that's where the money will go. The second appeal, a second part, half of the tithe. So if, half the, if we get 50, you get tithers five, 2,500 to Australia, 2,500 part of it of the tithe to a, a town, a city in the Philippines called Barawan. It's where Pastor Margaret lives. And Pastor Margaret, um, four weeks ago, I could be lying in that it could be three weeks ago, but it's about a month or so ago. Through the central market area of Barawan, where she lives in this town, she lives just outside the town, a kilometre and a half with the centre of a change. And, and my dear brothers and sisters in the Philippines understand, in the marketplace, all their, all their shops are just joined together, one after another, okay? They all just use the same internal, the same internal wall is the same for one shop as the next. Forty shops were burnt to the ground about three or four weeks ago. 200, 200 families lost their occupation because of those 40 shops in, in Barawan in the Philippines on the island of Leyte. Margaret has already given over and above 3,000 Australian dollars to help people get back on their feet, to give them food for the day, to provide for them and to help them start to rebuild those shops. As a church, as a team, we thought we would give half of our tithe, two and a half thousand. We're committed to that, whether we receive it or not. We're going to do that anyway. We'd love you to be a part of it and join us. Two and a half thousand Australian dollars just to be able to help her help them. I think that's a good idea. What do you think? Thank you for those seven people. Anybody else? <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I think to give is a precious opportunity we have family. So that's where we're going with it this year. And you have an opportunity to join with us. Can you stand with me? And we're going to sing our last song and pray today. Thank you, Father. Let me pray for you. Father God, today, we just acknowledge that you're an incredible God of provision, that you're an incredible God. You gave us life through Jesus Christ. You've given me breath today. You've given me all that I have. In actual fact, all you asked for is just to bring a tenth of it back to you, which was originally yours in the first place. I thank you for that privilege of tithing and giving of offerings. And I pray that, Father, that we would live as a people, not a stingy or hard, not materialistic, but Father, we would live as a people that would be, uh, Father, generous and more than anything, no incredible contentment in just having what we have uh, not that it, and not allowing it money to grip our hearts, uh, but Lord, to live within our means and understand that Father, it's a great money, is a great blessing, but it's a great servant, but a terrible master. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you. Thank you for each other. Thank you for your church. Thank you for what we've been able to do in the past and, and blessing and helping people. And we commit the first fruit offering that we'll give again this year to your kingdom in Jesus' name. Everyone agreed, said? Amen. Come on, let's sing this last song today. Thank you.